I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, it's Luke Burbank. Welcome to LiveWire. This week, we're talking about those times when you realize you might be your own worst enemy. And someone who knows all about that is TV creator Dan Harmon. I think my therapist believes that we will one day work around to my drinking if she gains my trust by solving my workaholism problem. (laughs) But the whole time I'm thinking, yes, let's solve that so I can drink more. We've also got performer Lauren Weedman, whose own worst enemy might be her alter ego, Tammy. My birth mother and birth father gave me the name Tammy Lisa. You know, I was adopted Lord Huntington, you know, and like raised on the country club sports. And then like Tammy Lisa's in the corner, like, come on, girl, let's go. Plus, we've got music from Eric D. Johnson from Fruit Bats. It's going to be an amazing hour of radio. So stop sabotaging yourself and stick around. It all got started just like this, at the Alberta Rose Theater. Our theme this hour is my own worst enemy. And I feel like we can all identify with that moment in time when you are about to do something and you know it is going to be bad for you. But for some reason, you do it anyway. Right? Like, often... Drugs, alcohol, gambling, top the list of of bad ideas like this. But I think actually the front runner and the thing that most of the people here in the theater and probably everybody listening on the radio can identify with, when it comes to something that you know is not going to end well, but you do it anyway, would be relationships. I'm in a very dysfunctional relationship currently that I do not know how to extricate myself from (laughs) with Amazon.com. I get up every morning and I tell myself, don't mess with that website today, Burbank. (laughs) And I do fine through most of the day. And then eventually it's like 11 o'clock at night and I got some wine in me. (laughs) I head over to the computer and I'm like, yo, what's up, Amazon, you up? (laughs) And it is, because it's a website. (laughs) Pretty much 24 hours a day. Battle was lost for me with Amazon years ago when I entered my credit card information into the website. 
because it's too easy for me to buy things. There, it's like one click. It might even be down to like half of a click now. You could probably look at your laptop and it'll send you something at this point. There are not enough barriers between me and buying ridiculous things. How about a box of 28 individually wrapped canisters of Banaka Blast? I literally ordered that last night. How about a, um, a baking pan that will allow me to uh, bake my own low-carb hot dog buns at home? <laughs> it's called the New England hot dog pan, except no substitute. <laughs> Ordered it like three days ago. I have at my house a helmet that I bought that you wear on your head that shines a red laser light on your scalp and is supposed to slow the effects of male pattern balding. <laughs> it was $900. <laughs> and about two weeks ago, my wife saw the receipt and realized how expensive it was and beelined it for our office to try to change our Amazon password. <laughs> but she was unsuccessful because I was one step ahead of her and had already changed it. <laughs> so the joke was on her and my scalp, it turns out, because I was at a doctor, like a real doctor, who happens to know about laser uh, technologies and things like that as it relates to medical stuff, and I asked him if there's any science behind this $900 balding laser helmet, and he said, and this is a quote, the science supporting that is, quote, non-existent. <laughs> it was a hard day for me at the doctor's office. Um, I think the reason that I do this stuff and I buy these things is, pro if I'm being totally honest, it's because I'm probably feeling a little low at the time. Something about me is just not feeling at peace, and my sense is if I buy this thing, it's going to change my life in some way. My life is going to be more efficient. I'm going to be a more attractive person, a more appealing person. Somehow, this is going to be the thing I need. And then when the thing comes from Amazon and I take it out of the box and put it in my pocket if it's a breath spray or um, put it on my head if it's a laser helmet, um, <laughs> after about five minutes... I realized something, which is that I'm still me, right? And I, I, it doesn't matter what we're buying online or who we're foolishly dating or what drink we're ordering. It's never going to make us into this other version of ourselves, right? What we have to do is we have to start right here. We have to figure out what's going on with us. We have to work on that. And if we do that, before we know it, we can turn around and find that we've become that person that we were trying to be. I read that in an Eckhart Tolle book <laughs> that I ordered from Amazon two weeks ago, free shipping. I don't know, I'm just saying it's not all bad. It's not all bad. Um, that's not a joke, that book is changing my life. Our first guest has made some enemies during his time in Hollywood, but he's also made some of the most innovative television, film, and podcasting 
I have ever seen or heard. His latest project is the amazing Adult Swim animated show, Rick and Morty. Please welcome Dan Harmon to Livewire. Dan Harmon, welcome to Livewire. I thank you. Thank you for having me. I have been really enjoying Rick and Morty lately. I've been watching it on my laptop, and I seem like a, a damn fool because I'm sitting in a coffee shop just erupting in laughter as I'm watching what goes on for these two and everybody on the show. I'm curious, how uh, did the show get started as an idea? Where did it come from? In the very, very beginning of it, it started as a sort of underground vandalism on the part of Justin Roiland, who, who does the voice of both characters right. on the show. And, um, and it, he had been coming off of a show that he felt restrained in, and he, I, I guess like the Ed Norton voiceover in, in Fight Club, <laughs> he wanted to destroy something beautiful. And I, I tell you, he was of the generation that grew up on Back to the Future, and he, uh, he wasn't really thinking about what he wanted to do. It was uh, like, 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 I think that's what punk rock is. You just sort of like kick your amplifier over and go, who cares about the queen or something? I don't know what they're. Yeah. I don't know what they're upset about. I don't know if they're still around, but but right. punk rock yeah. is a phrase we, have we use. Noted music scholar Dan Harmon here on Livewire. <laughs> so this started off as kind of a way of of really bastardizing this idea of Back to the Future and this relationship, but then it kind of. It got real. In he that just kept doing those voices, and they slowly morphed into a completely different thing. And it was—I always characterize it as, at the risk of offending uh, people who 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 suffer from from bipolarism. It's, it's not a—it's not trivializing that, but just the idea that we have—we're all a little bipolar, and that the, those are the poles that you have, like this, like very aggressive, manic. We got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this. And it's compulsion. And then you have that other part of you that's like, geez, I don't know if we should do that or not. And, it, and, and I think that he really like just, I, I think that's what's important about vandalism, you know, is that it. Finally, we got to what's important about <laughs> vandalism. Is because even though on its face it is an ex is it seems like a destructive act, and it usually is ninety percent of the time. But there's if you follow through with it, it's like and let the why am I throwing this trash can through this glass? What is it I don't like about glass, or what is it I love about the sound of breaking glass? And if you really let that person, if you gave that person to say a federal grant of five million dollars, or I think they could come up with something real entertaining. I'm pretty sure. I'm sure, pretty sure that's not happening for a few years. Um, <laughs> On the federal side. Yeah, it's like those, Doesn't the, sound like a thing that's going to be heavily funded in the near future. I, I, I predict a, a, a landslide of arts money uh, yeah. pouring Actually, in. That is a very interesting, not that we have to go there, but that is an interesting effect of everything that's happened politically is a lot of arts organizations have been getting a lot of support because people realize that this stuff uh, is important and may not be funded enough. Doesn't uh, that make you conflicted? Don't you hate that when you get out your checkbook and go, let's all save the cookie foundation and the, 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 this person hates and then you're like, congratulations, we saved the cookie foundation. You can just picture the bad guys going, yeah, exactly. Right. It's called free market, man. It's all we were trying to say. Why was I paying for Big Bird? You pay for Big Bird, you like him so much. I'm just trying to recover from the news that there's a cookie foundation. <laughs> That's my ersatz. I didn't yeah. want to pu right. push the right. wrong button politically, so right. I made up my right. own <laughs> yeah. federal program. Yeah. I, 
<laughs> and I landed on cookies. It, by the uh, way, the story checks out. You were eating cookies in the green room before the show. Yeah, well, this you, is near and dear to your heart. You put them out there, Mother, mother Jamma. <laughs> <laughs> we have Dan Harmon here, the creator of Harmontown and Community and Rick and Morty. I was, I was looking at the uh, Rick and Morty Wikipedia page, and there was a quote, which who knows if it can be believed because it's uh, on Wikipedia, but somebody said, the series is often retroscripted for Rick's ad hoc lines, which frequently include burp talking in the middle of a sentence while speaking. I'm curious, like, what is the whole audio recording process like for this show? We, it, 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 it fluctuates between overwriting and underwriting, and I, 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 in the beginning, it was a lot easier Justin had too much respect for my script. I had too much respect for Justin's improv, and so we split the difference and would say, well, I'll write them, but then look at them once and then put it down and then kind of do a take where you just try to remember. And then you get the, like, Justin has a very, very, like, unique, memorable sort of, the way he deals with saying a word wrong, he has no shame, he just keeps going. Yeah. It's really, and I can't even really do an impression of, I can't do an example, he just sort of like says words in the wrong order and then just decides that that's the new way to talk. <laughs> and it's really charming because it's like how we all were before we became creatures of shame and fear. It, it, but it's also, I mean, we also pooped in our pants and, uh, I, we wouldn't have been good with coworkers. I, it's not, I'm not saying let's all stop being civilized. I'm just saying I like my friends. <laughs> what was your question? <laughs> we don't, I, it was I, about it, burp talking. I don't know if it deserved a real answer. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, it, 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 it depends on the episode. It depends on the line. I think because it, 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 we, we continue to finesse as we go. Sometimes it's like, oh, this is way overwritten. Justin, can you just, just throw the script away and now just take another whack at trying to hit this idea? And, and then you'll get some of the most memorable stuff. I think it works so well. I think of the end of the pilot episode. I have to imagine that the last minute is just ad-libbed. Because he's just riffing on, he gives the website for the show. Right. I mean, you want to talk about breaking the fourth wall. The guy <laughs> in the show is giving the website for where you can watch the show. And you could tell that he was, my sense is he was just talking. Because the same guy is the voice of Rick and Morty, which is also interesting from a production standpoint. Because clearly he's got to do all the lines, do all the other lines, and then you guys just overlay them in some way that it sounds really real and natural. It totally works. One of the things I love about Rick and Morty is all of the... Stuff that's happening all the time, which, of course, you couldn't create on a live-action show, but what's different about doing something for animation for you? Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's, at first blush, it's, everything's easier in animation because you have more control. Because you can, even in the edit bay, you can say, oh, this joke would be better if this person's eyeballs were frogs. You know, you, there's some stuff you can change right before you air it that is, you couldn't change in live-action. You cannot make Joel McHale's eyeballs not frogs. <laughs> Little known fact. He has frogs for eyes. Uh, <laughs> and and, and post-production had to be notified of that months in advance. What's different for you about doing it, uh, doing an animated show versus a live-action show, as you've mentioned? Oh, right. That's you, can, I... you can do anything you want, but is that, in its own way, a little bit stressful? Because, like, to try to then focus on what is important. It's also have... misleading, because the thing is, in live-action, you can, you can half-ass your script a little bit, um, and then even have the actors go to production with maybe less of a script than you 
really are confident in. And you shoot it with many, many cameras many, many times. So you go to the edit bay with this bin full of crazy alternative flux. Um, and you can kind of reinvent things with live action, even conceptually. You can change stories and say, you know what? What if we reshoot a scene next week in the library that we'll put in here in place of this moment? You, you can be making those decisions in a live action show uh, that late in the game. In, in animation, to a large degree, you, you need to have your S together uh, before the actors go in front of the microphone because then the animators and everyone that you value and don't want to go insane, they all are relying on this audio track. So it's a, it's a useless answer. It's basically I'm saying like, well, in, in live action, changing things at the last minute, you can do it, but it sucks. Uh, and same as animation. <laughs> But but it's it's different. It's just like different areas. It's yeah. just sort of a. I've come to find that it's just different. What's really interesting to me are the things that are the same. It's the okay. fact that a room full of people. If you type that in an animated script or a live action script, the line producer has the same <laughs> spasm, uh, because a room full of people is expensive to hire and to draw. <laughs> Who would have known? Yeah, I think that people like me uh, would assume that at this point, animation, you can, there's some program that can just draw a room full of people that move in what seems like a believable fashion. No, I mean, every, if, you wanna, if you want your primate eye to perceive a crowd, um, part of what is perceived as a crowd as opposed to a tile wallpaper pattern of silhouettes or something is, is that they're, even though you're not looking at each individual face, your eye requires a mosaic of individuality and so some poor schlub has to design characters and i imagine they sit there and take their whole art school education and go i wonder what this person's backstory is you know <laughs> ah the kleptomaniac giraffe uh, and they have to just <laughs> they have to think about that stuff and it's it, they must want to murder us sometimes is there ever is there ever something that gets proposed that actually can't be animated or can't be animated in the time needed no. It's just more people staying up more hours yeah. to just get it done. Just go more over budget and you just, your show doesn't air for two years. <laughs> and, and kids tweet you and say, stop talking about Trump, make your show. And I go, that's not how it works. I'm not a Keebler elf. I don't have a Twitter account and then over here like a little cartoon making bench. <laughs> In a tree. <laughs> Wait a second. Is that the Cookie Foundation? <laughs> I am Cookie. I just, all of my politics come back to just being a fat, sad man. I don't know anything about the world or other people. I just, it's all about cookies. So Rick, the kind of scientist uh, on your show, Rick and Morty, he has what I think could diplomatically be called a complicated relationship with alcohol. Yeah, or or way too simple one. <laughs> <laughs> it's not nuanced enough. It's, it, yeah. it's just all of the alcohol. All for instance, every time he opens his spacecraft, like a hundred empty bottles fall out. Yeah. So that could be a sign. Uh, last time we had you on the show, Dan Harmon, we were talking about to what degree that's sort of autobiographical for you. Is I mean, any part of that character based on you? And also. Where is that thing in your life these days, if you don't mind talking about it? No, oh, I don't mind at all. Uh, I, I'm drunk. Um, 
talk about anything. <laughs> it's great stuff. Um, the, the, uh, I both with, it's funny, uh, being in therapy, uh, I think my therapist uh, believes that we will one day work around to my drinking uh, if she gains my trust by <laughs> solving my workaholism problem. <laughs> But the whole time I'm thinking, yes, let's solve that so I can drink more. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who will win, but, but, but I know that the, it's interesting what the things have in common. It's interesting what all addiction has in common and, and, and what addiction has in common with things we wouldn't call addiction, which is just uh, seeking comfort habitually. Your neurology wraps itself around things that work. And uh, as your neurology grows like roots of a tree, if you can, you know, it's like over time, the things that brought you joy and are therefore at the center of a pattern, they don't necessarily bring the same joy, uh, but they can be incredibly important, um, even if they're not necessarily what we qualify as a chemical addiction. So there's people in this room that are ad addicted, quote unquote, to arguing, uh, you know, uh, being contrarian, uh, somebody that's always got to have the last word. It's, uh, you're doing it like five times per minute. You know, you're, you're engaging in behavior that, that your neurology has learned leads your roots to water. Uh, it's self-soothing in a way. Yeah. Sort of. and, and so the key is to kind of like experiment with new behaviors. And even, it doesn't even, actually that's going too far because that sounds like some dumb movie about skydiving. Um, <laughs> What I've found, my therapist, her, her whole shtick is the shtick. It's just, yeah. she's, she's, she may not have completely won your trust yet. Shtick <laughs> <laughs> is only one click above racket in terms of not trusting her. <laughs> that is a compulsion. I had to call it a shtick. Like, I couldn't respect her enough. I, 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 it was too hard for me to jump over there. I'm, like, ta I'm quoting her, talking about her, trading her wares, and I have to call it shtick <laughs> just to protect myself. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's about, it's, a, it's a, the amazing thing about uh, awareness. It, you, can, you really don't have to be that hardworking to work on stuff that you need to change. The, you can actually just notice it and it'll kind of, that'll start to lead to stuff. Weird woo, but. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I think we're too ashamed of laziness, honestly. We have this culture that goes for like, like charity and philanthropy. Like we, we think we have it whole built into our whole system that helping other people has to come at a cost, uh, that it won't make you happier. It won't make you, uh, more powerful. It won't, it won't add to your life. It'll detract from it. We think that self-improvement also, it's like, I really got to hurt myself. Oh, damn it. I didn't hurt myself today. I gotta, I gotta get on that. I gotta do that thing. That's really hard or I'll never be better. Um, we really all kind of buy into that, but, but, but you, you could actually just notice stuff and it kind of tends to change your behavior a little bit. It's all in my book. Don't do anything. <laughs> just want stuff. It's, it's a white, fragile white male's guide to <laughs> self-stagnation. <laughs> Don't to, listen uh, to anything I say. No. I'm way drunker than I thought. No, I'm kidding. No. I was. Uh, um, not to rip off your therapist shtick, but <laughs> she's uh, a good therapist. She doesn't have a shtick. Her shtick uh, is being effective. Sorry. <laughs> 
I'm just wondering, I mean, you've had tremendous success in your career, and and the, the latest thing that you've put a lot of time into, Rick and Morty, is just incredible, has... I think it has 1,000% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is not even a statistical possibility. <laughs> uh, a lot of stuff has gone really well for you. Uh, are you happy? <laughs> I am. I really am. I don't know if I would say this when I was 25, but I, I, my happiness has nothing to do with my work anymore. It, it, it's, it, that's easy to say because like you just said all that stuff, the Rotten Tomatoes and all that shtick. Uh, but I, the, the, How dare the, you call what I do shtick? <laughs> the, 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 the happiness now comes from watching Forensic Files with my girlfriend. And, and Can we just take a quick moment to observe the majesty that is Forensic Files? <laughs> it's, there's 6,000 episodes. Uh, no matter what you do for a living, it won't intimidate you. It will only tell you stories of why you sh should keep watching television uh, and not leave the house. And, and whatever uh, you do, do not put anybody in the trunk of your car if they are deceased, because there is a carpet fiber that is going right. to get stuck somewhere. If you're going to murder someone, own a boat on a dock without cameras, that's it. And if it can be arranged, make it in the 1990s. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even, I mean, they figured it out. People that own docks, they watch Forensic Files. So actually, just stop murdering. I might be Jesus. It's that easy. Yeah. It's this all is, in my book. <laughs> this has been one of our best sessions yet, Dan. You went from <laughs> totally doubting yourself to a messiah complex. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know I don't know if it's complex. I, I... <laughs> Dan Harmon, ladies and gentlemen. All right, Dan, our theme this week is own worst enemy. And uh, you have been very open when it comes to talking about times in your career that you may have made a misstep. Uh, one might even say that you are, to some degree, an expert in the field. Uh, would that be accurate? Yeah. Okay, we wanted to tap into your expertise when it comes to life experience and uh, occasionally messing up. And so we wanted to give you some famous mess-ups from history. And your job is to judge which of the mess-ups is worse. So do you follow? Yes. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> In the entertainment category, which was the worst faux pas? John Travolta introducing Frozen star Adina Menzel as the wickedly talented Adele Dazeem <laughs> at the Oscars in 2015. Or when they literally gave the Oscar to the wrong best picture this year. <laughs> which was the worst faux pas? Yeah, which was more embarrassing? Which was which more embarrassing? To the people who committed the error. I, 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 well, the second one, even though the first was more entertaining. I think that you can, that we could all, during the shrapnel of the Travolta explosion, part of the joy was that we partly identified with Travolta. It, when a human makes a mistake, and I don't want to spoil the rest of your questions with this formula, when a human makes a mistake, it's always better than when a system does. When a system makes a mistake, a bunch of humans can die. Uh, or the wrong ones can all have a horrible experience of thinking they have an Oscar for a second. Yeah. 
but when a, you know, it's it's it, it wasn't Warren Beatty didn't make a mistake. There was a there was a systemic mistake there, and yeah. it, that was awful. All right, Dan Harmon, which was more embarrassing? This is in the politics category. When George H. W. Bush uh, puked on the lap of the Prime Minister of Japan. Or when George W. Bush became the first person, and definitely president in history, to fall off a Segway scooter, which are designed to not tip over. <sighs> oh my God, a dynasty of... I, what is more embarrassing? Like, what is causing more schadenfreude? Well, the Segway, because it's literally designed... Yeah. Yeah, it's gyroscopically to be untip over. An argument could be made that the stomach of a president at that age is designed to puke <laughs> on sushi. Uh, you know, it's uh, yeah. like he did his best. Yeah, it, it was. It was. Uh, but the idea of <laughs> this, there's three chips in those things uh, to, that are designed to keep the dumbest person in the right. world upright. It's the main selling point of the Segway scooter. It's, it's, it's when we all realized, maybe he's not just stupid, maybe God hates him. <laughs> he's too dumb to obey physics? Might he fly? And yet I would give anything for him to lead this country again. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean... You know, <laughs> who from this distance can tell him from Obama right now? Right. Nobody. No, right? Uh, Dan Quayle. Yeah, uh, exactly. Genius. How do you do that? I can see that this is upsetting you. We're going to move on. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, moving on to the world of computing and disasters in replying all. Which was worse when the University of California, San Diego reply all to 28,000 applicants saying, quote, we're thrilled that you've been admitted to UC San Diego only to email them later that night that it was a mess up and they had not been admitted. <laughs> or when the McAfee Internet Security Company accidentally replied all to 1,400 conference attendees sharing all of their personal and secure information <laughs> with everyone on the list. Worst reply all disaster. I, the, the first one, yeah, to, to, to create a dream and then dash it. Yeah. We'd all, I, I would, if, I could, if I could protect a kid's college dream by having to change my credit card numbers. Uh, yeah. Right. You Just don't ask me to pay for it. <laughs> but I'll get a new driver's license. And Dan Harmon, in the category of uh, TV cancellations, which makes for the more embarrassing mistake? Was it when NBC canceled the beloved Judd Apatow show Freaks and Geeks after just one season? Was it when Fox unceremoniously canceled Arrested Development or that Heat Vision and Jack, your, your sort of masterwork, starring Jack Black and Owen Wilson, <laughs> featuring a theme song sung by Tom Jones, never saw the light of day? Yeah. I think, I think the Arrested Development thing was the most embarrassing because they, uh, I remember that, and they, they kept like talking about how they wished it had more ratings. I don't know, it was just sort of like very uncomfortable. Um, they didn't like the show, and they kind of kept pretending like they liked it. And then, that's, I, I, don't, I don't know if they did that to Freaks and Geeks. I, I, I can't remember. I mean, I think they, they might have been like, it's, it's got low ratings, dump it. But I remember Arrested being that uncomfortable thing where they're like, 
don't be mad at us, tastemakers, because we'd love you to love something else that makes money. Uh, Here's another season of 24. Yeah, that that was embarrassing, because, like, yeah. Do you feel like uh, you did an amazing thing with Community, which is you made a show that was really great and had an incredibly loyal following, but was also popular enough to stay on television for a number of years. Is that an almost impossible thing to do with a comedy these days? Make something good that can also be commercially successful? I don't know. This was all taking place in a Venice that was sinking so fast. I don't know. It's like, it's like, I... Do you I, mean the TV industry or your life at the time? <laughs> That's not even sarcastic. No. I just want a clarification. No, yeah. It's, I, I was talking about the industry, but uh, yeah, just the idea of like, you're asking about strategy for those la- that last decade. It's a moot point because it was sort of, everything was changing so much more than a human brain working in television could change every day. That's it. Thank you, Dan Harmon, for being on Livewire. Listen to Harmontown. Watch Rick and Morty. Hey, if you're going to be in the Portland area on April 20th, come see a live taping of Livewire right here at the Alberta Rose Theater. Our guests will include Snap Judgment's Glenn Washington. You heard. And also, All Things Considered, co-host Kelly McEvers. And we've got music from Bilal. That is April 20th here at the Alberta Rose Theater. Visit livewireradio.org for information and tickets. This week's show is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, an airline with over 800 daily departures to over 100 cities even to tropical Unalaskan lands like Costa Rica and Hawaii. And with a name like Alaska, you know their air conditioning will be on point. Alaska Airlines, fly nice. Our next guest is a two-time National Poetry Slam winner who has appeared on HBO and at TEDx and many other places. His most recent book is The Pocket Knife Bible. Please welcome the amazing Anis Mojgani to Livewire. Hey, good to be here. Come closer, come closer, come into this, come into this. You are quite the beauty. There is joy in how your mouth dances with your teeth. Your smile is simply a sign of how sacred your life actually is, so Step into it, come closer. Know that something softer than us, but just as holy, planted pieces of itself into our feet that we might one day dance our way back. Know that you are almost home. Come just a little bit closer. There are birds that beat their wings beneath your breastplates, gentle sparrows that ache to sing. Come aching hearts, come soldiers of joy, doormen of truth. Know that my heart was too big for my body, so I let it go. And most days, this world thins me. 
to where I'm just another cloud, forgetting another flock of swans, having shaved off so many of my corners that I felt at home only in the shape of a ball, bending myself so far backwards that the song of my mother believed I was returning home. But believe me when I tell you that somehow this soul of mine manages to squeeze itself into very narrow spaces. Place your hand beneath your head when you sleep tonight. Perhaps you will find it there. Making beauty as we sleep, making beauty as we dream, making beauty as we turn over. When we turn over in the ground, may the ghost that we have asked our answers of do that turning, kneading us into crumbs of light and into this thing, love thing called life. Come into it, come, you wooden museums, gentle tigers, little giants. I see teacups upside down glowing across your grins. Your hearts are like my hands. Some days, all they do is tremble. I am like you. I am just like you. I too at times am filled with so much fear. But like a hallway must find the strength to walk through it. Walk through this with me. Through this church of blood, bone, and muscle that is ours. There is a doorknob that glows like chance before you. Grab it. Turn and pull. Step through. Back straight. Chin up. Eyes open. Hearts loud. Hearts loud. Walk through this with me. Walk through this with me. Thank you very much. Anish Moshkani. Hey, this week we would like to send a special thank you to a couple of our members, of course, we're talking about Gerald Ligori from Palm Harbor, Florida, and Shane Lee from Portland, Oregon. Did you know that it's only because of support from members like Shane and Gerald that Livewire can keep going? Thanks, you two. This is Livewire Radio from PRI. My name is Luke Burbank. We're coming to you from the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon this week. Our theme is My Own Worst Enemy, and like most of us, our next guest has been her own worst enemy at times, but unlike most of us, she's turned those experiences into compelling one-person shows that are personal, funny, and revealing. You've probably seen her on TV shows like Looking and Arrested Development and The Daily Show, as well as movies like Date Night and the new movie Wilson. Her latest stage show is called Lauren Weedman Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Please welcome Lauren Weedman to Livewire. Lauren Weedman, welcome to Livewire. Thanks. Thank you, Luke, and, and thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. What is the plot and, and narrative of this new show? Like, what's happening? It's about midlife crisis, and it's about, it, it's about um, my... I, the, I had a, um, a situation to, to do with a marriage and a babysitter and an affair, which sounds very cliche in Hollywood, um, so I guess it is. And so I, I, I had this thing that happened... Just to put it vaguely, and well, again, can merit. I ask? Do you would you rather be vague about that? Because I know you've written about it, and I know alter ego of yours in the show. Uh, her husband uh, cheats on her with the babysitter, and that is a thing that you 
have stated happened in your actual real life? Kind of, yeah, it did, kind of. Um, uh, it, well, it did, and what, what the deal was is that I'm so, I write about my life, that's because I'm not good about making stuff up, just because I'm not being, you know, as bright as I would hope to be. And so I, I just take whatever just happened, and then this thing happened, which was like the babysitter thing, and it just seemed so cliche and awful, and I felt like, well, I'm a parent, you know, and I need to, you know, I'm a mother for F's sake, I gotta class it up a little bit, I don't want to be constantly spewing out personal details, just for the sake of, of, of not doing that for my kid. Now it's too late, so I'll just keep going with it. But, um, so I wanted to do a show where I wasn't, I'm like, I have to stop this. I have to stop the, the constant divulging of things. I wanna come up with a whole other deal. And so I thought I'll use this alter ego, which was that I was, so I'm adopted. My birth mother and birth father gave me the name Tammy Lisa on some fake birth certificate. And so it's all about the fact like that I could have been Tammy Lisa, like Tammy Lisa has been lurking in my life. Like, you know, I was adopted Lord Huntington, you know, and like raised on the country club sports. And then like Tammy Lisa's in the corner, like, come on girl, let's go. You know, like it's been like right there. And then as the affair and these things happened, I'm like, dear God, it's Tammy Lisa. Let's like throw down the can of beans and get to it. You know what I mean? I'm not sure if that. Well, I, th I thought we have Lauren Weedman here, by the way, the amazing Lauren Weedman. <laughs> In fact, in fact, I'm, I'm getting an update that we actually need to take a very short break. So let's do that right now. Uh, this is Livewire Radio from PRI. We have Lauren Weedman here. Her new show is Lauren Weedman Doesn't Live Here Anymore. We will be back right after this. Don't go anywhere. Livewire gets support from Fully. Did you know Fully makes desks and chairs and other things that keep your body moving? Their Jarvis Standing Desk has been reviewed as the best on the market. It's the desk that I use when I'm on stage hosting Livewire. I also sit in one of their Capisco chairs when I'm up there hosting. It supports me and also keeps me in motion, helps me stay creative. Speaking of which, as I'm recording this, I am sitting on a TikTok. A TikTok is this amazing rocking stool, I guess you'd call it. Uh, that keeps you moving and engaged and creative. Can you hear how creative I am right now? This is because I'm not just like slouched in some chair. I'm sitting on a TikTok from Fully, and it is really helping me. If you want to find out more about Fully, head over to fully.com slash livewire, and that'll help them know that we sent you. Welcome back to Livewire Radio from PRI. My name is Luke Burbank. I'm your host. Uh, we have Lauren Weedman here, who has a show... Lauren Weedman doesn't live here anymore. Yay. We were talking about this new show that, that you have, and you were saying that at least you had considered the idea of not having the stuff be so confessional, so really based on your life, maybe because of being a mother and because yes. of your kid and things like that. But that must put you in a weird spot because I've seen a lot of your shows, and they're almost always an outgrowth of your real life. That's a pretty big pivot for you to try to not do that, right? Yeah, well, what happened was the fighting against it just became the show. Like, and then after a while, you have to go... I spent so much effort trying not to tell it it's that kind of thing when you're trying not to say something. So, like, like my example was when I was first um, working on the show, and I, when I had this moment where I realized, I think I'm just going to have to say it, it was reminding me of my mother who, for years, acted like she cared about her kids more than her cats. You know, like, she just, like, faked it, and she's just like, of course I love my children. <laughs> They're so precious. And then, and... <laughs> Now she looks like, in her, in her old age, she looks like a Persian cat, like a mean Persian cat. Like she's turned into this, like, like sort of. And I'm like, wow, you have to be careful because your secrets 
sneak up on you. Like if you don't say them, they're going to sort of, you're like, I'm having a fine time. And suddenly you're like, oh, sorry. Why did I throw Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. You've got to let the steam out yes. in a controlled way or else you're going to have an explosion. Yes. That's, I guess, how I, how I see it. Yeah. Like I chose for truth because I really believe in truth. That's you free. <laughs> Oprah and I have always been like that. Um, no, but I eventually, I, I tried to do all this convoluted stuff with the show and tried to make it different things. And then that kind of became the show, me avoiding the fact of telling the story and, and realizing like it is what it is. And the more you're avoiding it, you know, the more, the, the weirder it becomes or the dumber, it be, you know, I just need to go head on into it. And the story for people that just tuned in uh, is that you, and I'm not trying to belabor this, but just for the uh, sake of context, your, your ex-husband had an affair with a much <laughs> younger person who was your guys' babysitter. Yes. And this is the thing you were struggling with whether or not to talk yes, about And this in moment your show. right now is exactly what I was trying to avoid. I'm like, I'm gonna make this show about like the train industry in the 1800s, you know, like locomotives, or something to make it not, so I wouldn't have to be doing interviews. Like I wrote a book and stuff, when, and in the book I had all the other chapters were about everything else, and I have one chapter about the babysitter. And then when I was on the tour, people were like, "So why'd you hire her if she's dressed like that?" Go ahead, you know. And I'm, and and then I want to talk about it because it is impacting in my life. It was a big thing, but it's not. I, I, what the main thing I wanted to avoid was to be, I didn't want to be talking, I didn't want to be trash talking the girl. That, that was the thing about it, is I didn't want to be coming down on like, you know, then this whole walk in my house, take my man. Like, I don't want to be so like, you know, or Tammy Although Lisa. Although I would see that show yeah. if you were in it. <laughs> Lauren Weedman, yeah. I don't want that hoe taking my man. Yeah, exactly. Those are good. Or, or as my, one of my favorite moms on the playground after when I first started telling all the other moms at the preschool, because I did not want to tell them what was going on. I was trying to, again, class it up. And nobody ever reveals anything personal to me. Like when I'm hanging out in the playground, I'm with my kid. I'm not just like, this is where I come so I can smoke in peace. Like, you know, I'm there with my child, but I'm the only one that's telling personal things. Like everybody else is like, Ooh, I had a Monday. <laughs> what a hump day, right? Can't wait for Wednesday. Whatever. People just talk about nothing. I, I started this show talking about how I paid $900 for a questionable piece of technology that I can wear uh, to try to uh, combat uh, male pattern balding. Oh, do you really wear some yeah. kind of cap or something? Yeah, or? it's a bizarre. It looks like something from the reboot of the movie Tron. It's ridiculous. Here's Perfect. where I'm going with this. I feel like I have the kind of personality, and you seem to have the kind of personality where we just are compelled to share everything, cannot keep anything inside. What, what do you think that is all about? I just, it's an irritating person, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Because I, I also feel like I see people like that. Like I've sat next to folks like ourselves and I'll be like, you know, I don't care whether, you know, I, I, sometimes I've peed my pants too. What are you trying to prove? Like, who are you trying to like, or I'll think it's I like that way. in your world, that's a brag. Yeah. <laughs> what I will think is that I don't like keeping it inside. Like I'll think if I keep it inside that eventually it'll be Tourette'sy or I'll get gas or something like that. I got to yeah. let it out. And I, it's, it's selfish, just wanting to keep things flowing. And I'll think it'll connect me. And I'll think if I say to somebody like, you know, you know, one time somebody sneezed in my mouth, that they'll be like, me too, I've been so alone, hold my hand. You know, and that we'll have a second of feeling less alone for a second because we're the two girls that somebody sneezed in, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a sort of, <laughs> it's a way to immediately kind of up the intimacy of the relationship, like in I, a very I, quick way. I will think that, yeah. Well, what usually happens, though, is that it's, what it does is it makes everybody pull away and go, that's never happened to me, and that's disgusting, and don't put your mouth near anything that's ever happened to me. So this is a pretty uh, hard right off of that conversation, but you popped up in a podcast that has recently been 
one of the more popular podcasts in America. It's called oh, the Miss, Richard Simmons. Missing yeah. Richard Simmons. Yes. Uh, it's a, a buddy of yours yeah. uh, who I assume you met at The Daily Show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who was a, a friend of Richard Simmons and created this podcast about trying to figure out why Richard Simmons has kind of gone off the radar. Mm-hmm. And uh, you and this guy, uh, Dan Taberski, mm-hmm. went to Slimmons, which is Richard Simmons's like workout studio. And yeah. he has been, Dan, the host of the podcast, has been talking about what an interesting and vibrant place this is for the whole uh, series uh, with some caveats, but basically right. painting it as this kind of semi-amazing place. And then you get in the car afterwards and you were not having it. Right. <laughs> well, I wasn't, the thing is that, because Dan would describe it as, oh, you have to come, you know, come watch Richard do his workout. He's hilarious. And all the people come are such characters. And when I was there, I felt like we were watching like, you know, like come to Amy Winehouse's like favorite bar and let's watch her drink. She gets so drunk. It was super dark. We were just like, I can't sit here and be like, you know, it felt like he was having, um, that he was mentally so many people in LA are mentally unwell and people are like, cha-ching, <laughs> you know? And so it is a, it's a real business to, to do like, oh, he's bipolar, but he's not been diagnosed. Well, let's get in there now before he's got his medication while we can make money. So it felt a little bit like that to me. Then what about the, <laughs> the criticism of that podcast, which is obviously very well constructed. It's riveting stuff, but some people have said, well, that's a bit of an invasion of Richard Simmons, uh, privacy. Uh, do you have any opinion one way or the other on that? My only thing was in listening to it, and I'm really good friends with Dan, and so my thing was always like, when people act like it's about something else, I'm like, it's about them. Like, it's not about, so every time Dan's going on about Richard, I'm like, it's not about Richard, it's about Dan. I don't know, it's so complicated. Like, I analyze things to death, and it makes me a super fun date and a dinner party guest you want to have. It's awful, because I'm always just, I can't just, that's why I, mean, I couldn't just go see Richard and enjoy it. I was like, oh my God, he's on his way out. He's psychologically dealing with this, and Dan's doing that, and I'm in this place, and, and, I, and, and then I'll start thinking about my money and that kind of stuff. Anyway. What about the money? Just the lack of, you know what I mean? <laughs> the lack of. Getting involved in the Portland theater movement is yeah. no way to fix that problem. <laughs> I'm here to tell you. Totally. I don't said about that for me. It's about connection. That's why I told you about that whole sneezing thing in the mouth so we connect, but whatever. I feel extremely close to you now. Lauren Weedman, everybody. Her new show is Lauren Weedman Doesn't Live Here Anymore. This hour spent part of his childhood in Naperville, Illinois, listening to 70s rock songs on the radio. His love of pop music, combined with a self-described hippie streak, propelled him to all kinds of interesting musical projects, including playing with the Shins and forming his own much-loved band, Fruit Bats, whose latest album is Absolute Loser. His music is hard to categorize, but a delight to hear. Please welcome Eric D. Johnson to Livewire. Said you never felt lower Looking at her over your shoulder Slow motion slipping away She's writing songs about leaving something Sad ones about believing in one thing And watching fade away But if you'd given me most of you I'd have handed over all of me But it 
daddy bluebird You say it's never over Chipping away at the boulder With the spinning of the wheels And the writing songs about coming undone And the falling in love with the idea of someone Who isn't really real But still when I That is Eric D. Johnson, right here on Livewire Radio. All right, before we get out of here, uh, let's tell you who helped make this show possible. First of all, thanks to our incredible guests, Dan Harmon, Lauren Weedman, Anis Mojgani, and Eric Johnson of Fruit Bats. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines and fully hotel accommodations generously provided by Provenance Hotels. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Laura Haddon is our producer and editor. Becky Fogel is our associate producer. Jason Rouse is our announcer. Caitlin Kunkel wrote for this show. Our house band is A. Walker Spring, Ethan Fox Tucker, and Sam Tucker. Molly Pettit is our technical director. D. Neil Blake does our house sound and recording. Thanks to Carlson Audio. Our development director is Lauren Masterson. Laura Hardin is our marketing director. And Tim Harkins, welcome to the team, our new operations manager. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts and Commission and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire is made possible by the support of our members. Thanks this week to member Jay Nickerson from New York City. For more info about the show, listen to our podcast or get the newsletter, head over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Public Radio International.
Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time, because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast. 